Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. Have a seat. And today we're going to be beginning a new series. Um, and we're going to be working through the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians 5. Um, but we're not going to get into any of the actual fruit of the Spirit today. I want to give, let today be more of an intro, more of an overview of uh, what Paul's really wanting to teach us here uh, throughout this passage. And a little bit of background, the book of Galatians is actually thought to be the very first letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote to a church. And Paul felt the need to write this letter because after all the work he put into helping start and grow this church in Galatia, it was now on the verge of all being undone. The church had been infiltrated by false teachers. The Bible refers to them as Judaizers. And uh, they were teaching that if the Galatians really wanted to be God's people, then they had to adhere to certain aspects of the Jewish law which is completely anti-gospel because that's a works-based salvation, not a grace-based, faith-based salvation. Jesus fulfilled the law so we would no longer have to be bound by the law. But this is a common misconception about Christianity because many people see Christianity as a religious system that declares if you are to be accepted, then you have to live to a certain standard. However, the message of Christianity is that we could never live up to the standard. So the standard himself became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And through his death and resurrection, he bridged the gap between our shortcomings and God's standard. So even though there's nothing we can do to truly live up to the standard, we can still be accepted before God and have a relationship with him because of what Jesus did for us. And we can know that we can come to faith, we can get excited about it, but how quickly can we become just like these Galatians. Whenever we come to faith, there's no questioning that we're, we have a complete dependence on God. We put ourselves completely in his hands. But then the longer that we're in the faith, the more that we're tempted to lose that dependence on God and try to take matters into our own hands. We feel like now that we're mature believers, we have to perform a certain way. And it's not necessarily to gain or maintain the favor of God, but rather that will be held in higher esteem in the eyes of other people, namely other Christians. And that's what we refer to as legalism. You see, legalism is whenever we turn our faith into a social competition while we cover it in spiritual language. It's when we, come, we keep track of everyone's church attendance, not out of care for someone else's spiritual well-being, but more so, so we'll feel better about ours. It's when we begin to believe that God's more proud of me than he is of others because of all that I do for him. It's when we make worship style more about personal preference than actually worshiping God. It's when we as parents unhealthily micromanage our children, not out of care for their spiritual well-being, but really because we're afraid they might embarrass and I know many people will define legalism as uh, the attempt to gain the approval of God through our works. But I really believe that if we are ever to fall into legalism, the root of it isn't wanting to gain God's favor. It's wanting to gain the favor of other people. And this is what the Galatians are falling into. 
This faith is becoming less about what God has done for them and more about what they can do. Now, they would say they're making it about what they could do for God. They would cover it in that spiritual language, but it's not really for God. It's what they can do for the approval or for the envy of others. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who's cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Just tell me this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? (laughs) After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if, in fact, it was for nothing? Paul's saying if we come to faith by believing, it's foolish to think that we maintain our faith through our own works. See, the only way to truly grow in your spiritual life is to keep that dependence on God. To constantly recognize your need for him. Why do you think Jesus said our goal should be to obtain the faith of a child? The goal of our faith should not be to have the best performance or record. The goal of our faith should be to recognize our need for God every single day. And the more you recognize your need for him, the better you'll be able to live out this spiritual life and the better you will be for the people around you. What Paul says in chapter 5, verse 6, what matters most is faith working through love. And if you look with me in verse 13, it says, For God calls you to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. And skip down to verse 25 with me real quick. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, legalism is a byproduct of becoming conceited. And its goal is to provoke one another, and its result is envying one another. But the antidote to legalism is to keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray one more time, and we'll get into this a little bit further. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you are. Thank you so much for filling this room today. I pray that you stir me up. I pray you fill me, Lord. I know without your power, without your love, I can't say anything of any significance or importance. So I pray that you would be glorified. I pray you would speak the truth and love through me today. And I pray that all of our ears and our hearts and our souls would be open and attentive to whatever the Holy Spirit has to teach us in this moment. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said... Amen. You ever have those moments where, uh, those times where you have like a song or a melody in your head, but you can't like remember the exact lyrics, you know, and it starts to drive you crazy a little bit? Or, or maybe you're watching a TV show and you see an actor and you're like, oh man, where have I seen that person in before? And when you find yourself in a predicament like this, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I'm not going to be able to sleep until I figure out the answer. But whenever you find yourself in a situation, what do most people do? You Google it, right? It's amazing. Right there at our fingertips, we can access the answer we're looking for within seconds. I remember one time me and Rachel, a couple months ago, we were were driving in the car, and a song came on through the car, and it was a cover song. It wasn't the original artist that was singing this song. And I was like, man, Rach, who who originally sang this song? She's like, oh, man, it's right on the tip of my mind. Okay. And then a couple minutes go by. She's left me hanging. I'm like, did you look it up? She said, no. 
I said, why not? She said, it didn't bother me that much. I, I, I like sat in silence for the next five minutes, and I couldn't let it go. I'm finally like, how does it not bother you? Right? Look it up. I had to wait till I got home. The answer was One Direction, by the way. It was the song. But, but I, I was actually a little hypocritical in that moment, too, because there are so many times where I find myself in a situation where the answer is right on the tip of my mind, and I refuse to look it up, and I tell Rachel, don't tell me the answer. Don't look it up, because i got to figure it out on my own, right? Even though I have access to the answer, I can find it within seconds, I want the satisfaction of figuring it out in my own power, right? And how many times is that exactly how we treat our spiritual lives? See, we have access to all of the resources that we need to live out the spiritual life the best way possible, but we would rather try it on our own rather than access the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in verse 16, I say then, Walk by the Spirit, and you certainly will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, before we go any further, uh, I want to answer an obvious question first. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, I love to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, I always had a hard time fitting in theologically in college because I was uh, too charismatic for the Baptist, but I was too Baptist for the charismatic, so no one knew where to put me in there. Um, but I loved being in that middle ground, and I love being able to break down all the aspects of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think we're going to be able to break down fully all of the aspects and attributes of who the Holy Spirit is today, but in order to set the tone for our walk through the fruit of the Spirit, I want to look at three different aspects of who the Holy Spirit is to us, and that is He is our defense, He's our spiritual identification, and He is our power source. And I really think it's important for us to cover um, who the, these certain aspects of who the Holy Spirit is, because we need a good working knowledge. Because the Holy Spirit is definitely the most controversial person of the Trinity. Now, Dr. Tony Evans, he says it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood, marginalized, misused, and underappreciated member of the Trinity. On one hand, he's ignored. On the other hand, he's illegitimately sensationalized. Both extremes cancel or limit his work in and through God's so we want to work through a few aspects of who the Holy Spirit is. And coming off of the heels of our series through John, let's go back for a moment and look about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit whenever he was introducing him to the disciples. And I love the picture that we get in John chapter 20. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples, and it says, when he said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had to be so intentional about using this gesture here. Because where else in Scripture do we see God breathing on someone? We see at, at, at creation in Genesis 2. We have that one on the screen here. Do you have the Genesis passage? It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You see, Adam had been created. Adam was formed, but he was not truly living until God breathed the breath of life into him. But since then, sin had entered into the world, and sin had, had suffocated the breath of life out of mankind. And here we see Jesus restoring that breath and breathing that breath of life back into his that's why Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, another question that has some controversy around it is, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? When do you actually have that breath breathed into us? Well, I think that question is answered very plainly in the book of Ephesians when Paul says, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The moment we come to faith, the moment we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that he died for our sins, the moment we make him Lord of our life, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And there is no believer in this room that has any greater measure of the Spirit than anyone else. There is no one that's more anointed than another. That's old covenant theology. We're living in the new covenant now on the other side of the cross where the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. However, there are many believers who, are, who have the Holy Spirit but live as if they don't have the Holy Spirit. And there is a big difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Now, one of my favorite ways to illustrate this is with uh, chocolate milk. Anybody like chocolate milk? Any chocolate milk lovers out here? No, Matt does. So, whenever you're making chocolate milk here, and you pour the chocolate in, nice and chocolatey for Carson there. Now, if you just leave it like this, it is, in fact, by definition, chocolate milk. Now, it doesn't really look like chocolate milk yet. Take a sip, it doesn't really taste like chocolate milk yet, but it still is, has the chocolate in it, right? This is what a lot of Christians' lives look like. We have had the Holy Spirit poured into us, but we allow Him just to sit at the bottom. And, we, and as a result, we don't really talk the way we're supposed to talk, where our lives don't look like the way that we're supposed to look. Like, we may be living lives that God can forgive, but He can't bless because we're not letting Him have control. You see, it's not until the chocolate is actually stirred up that it begins to have the look that it's supposed to look. Now it's going to look like chocolate milk, it's going to taste like chocolate milk, and it's going to have the full experience that chocolate milk is supposed to provide. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Here, Carson, take the chocolate milk. <laughs> there you go, big guy. That's a, that's a big old mug <laughs> there. See, this is why Paul told Timothy, he said, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is within you. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 4, whenever Peter and John returned from being arrested and beaten for preaching in the name of Jesus. And it says that, that Peter and John gathered together with their friends, and it says in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, this group already had the Holy Spirit, but they were intentional about crying out to the Lord together, and as a result, they were filled with the Spirit and continued to live out the life they were supposed to live. That's why the writer of Hebrews encourages us to follow this example when he writes, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of Jesus coming back, drawing near. This is why church is so important. 
Because this is a time where we intentionally worship together, we pray together, we open God's word together so it can be a time where we are intentionally stirred up by the Spirit and filled with Him once again. However, it's hard to do that whenever we don't have a good working knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is and what He wants to do in and through our lives. This is why Paul tells the Galatians they need to be intentionally, once again, walking by the Spirit. He says in verse 16 again, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you certainly will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He shows us a couple of things here. He doesn't tell us to be carried by the Spirit. He tells us to walk by the Spirit. Shows us that there is an intentionality on our part here that needs to happen. He also introduces us to this war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit within us. The Holy Spirit in our original sin nature. And this is a battle that never goes away on this side of eternity. And this is why we so desperately need the help of the Holy Spirit, which is actually what Jesus refers to him as in John chapter 14 when he first introduces his disciples to the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells them, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as helper or advocate or comforter in other translations. But those are all translated from the same Greek word that we have here. It's parakletos. Is that the right de- uh, pronunciation? I have no idea. I've tried. I can't roll my R's right. Like I'm <laughs> Yeah, Julius is the one taking the Greek class right now. But this means one who pleads another's cause before a judge. So it's almost like Jesus is giving us a picture of the Holy Spirit being our defense lawyer, which is our first point for today. The Holy Spirit is our defense. In chapter 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So it's like Jesus sets the courtroom scene here. We're on trial. The Holy Spirit is our defender. And he brings up the conviction that we are accused of, sin, of which we are guilty. But then, in his arguments, in his defense, he comes and he pleads the righteousness and the blood of Jesus and how his work on the cross has now covered the penalty for our conviction that we are accused of. And he gives us spiritual insight into the difference between the judgment we deserve and the judgment we receive. The judgment we deserve was death. The wages of sin is death. We're guilty. That's what we deserve. But instead, we receive the judgment of freedom because of the righteousness of Jesus. But Paul says in chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. That word redeem means to pay the price for freedom of another. And so whenever Satan, or the ruler of this world, as he's referred to in verse 11, whenever the father of lies tries to come in and tries to make us think that we are still in bondage, when he tries to place judgment or condemnation on us, the spirit as our advocate, as our helper, as our defender, is there to remind us and him that we are actually free. And the judgment of death has actually been reserved for him because Jesus has crushed the head of the servant. He has, he has made the enemy his footstool. He's overcome the world, amen? That's the victory and freedom that we get invited to. But we still have to accept it. 
Now, how many times have you heard uh, stories of people who've spent maybe decades in the prison system, and once they're released, the freedom is just so uncomfortable to them, they just want to do whatever they can to get back into prison. That's what a lot of spiritual lives look like. Whenever we hear the gospel, it's like that courtroom is set. We've been given the judgment of freedom. It's been offered to us. But so many people say, nah, I'm good. I'm comfortable with the bondage that I have been living. And Paul tells us, for freedom, you've been set free. And the Holy Spirit is here to continually come to our defense. And whenever we start to buy into the lies, he is here to remind us that we have been set free, that we've been covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And he's here to remind us of who we are now which is our second point for today. The Holy Spirit is our spiritual identification. Not only are we guilty people set free, but we are set free to live a brand new life. We have a new identity. We have a new status. We have a new family. That's why Romans 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear or to bondage, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, you are not a slave to your sin or your past. You are a son of God. You are not an outcast or damaged goods. You are a daughter of the King. And when you get to claim that identity, whenever you feel like this world's giving you trouble, whenever you feel like you're getting into trouble. You know, I got pulled over nine times before I got my first ticket. And I got my first ticket at 18, so this wasn't like a long, drawn-out uh, process that happened here. But I got off eight prior times mainly for two reasons. One, I was very respectful. And two, I would name drop my dad. <laughs> because more often than not, I was getting pulled over on military bases. And I would just happen to mention that, oh, yeah, my, my father's chaplain hall, you know, the chaplain, the pastor for this entire uh, military base here, and they'd be like, oh, man, well, you know, you don't have any record of this happening before, so just be more careful, and little did they know I didn't have that record before because seven other guys have said the same exact thing, right? But my father's name carried weight, and I'm here to tell you this morning, your heavenly father's name carries weight, and so when life starts to shake you up, you get to say, nope, my father is almighty God. Whenever you get backed into a corner, you can say, no, my father is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide everything that I need. Whenever temptation starts to close in on you, you could say, uh-uh, my father is the holy, perfect king of the universe. I don't have to stoop to that level anymore. That's not who I am. That's why Paul's so adamant about walking in the spirit and this new spiritual identity that we've been giving. He goes on to say in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. Now, I've gotten this question a few times. That if I'm saved, if I have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, if he's really living within me, why do I still struggle with sin? And if I do sin, does that mean I'm not saved? I've seen people struggle with this question so much that they just walked away from the faith altogether because they couldn't get it. If, I, if I'm a new person, I have this new system, this new identity, why do I still struggle with these temptations and keep falling into sin? I like to explain it in this way. How many of you are dog people? 
No, very slow hands. So, yeah, dogs are great. I'm a dog person. Cats are evil. Dogs are great. Um, <laughs> going to move on by that. I love dogs. We have an almost four-year-old golden doodle named Jojo. We love Jojo to death. Um, but I will not let Jojo lick me. I don't want any dogs licking me. Why? Dogs are gross. I have literally seen my dog eat her own throw-up. I can't do it. I already have a really bad gag reflex. And so when I hear JoJo in the other room going, you know, it's coming. I got to, like, get myself ready, right, to to go over there and, and clean it up. But before I get there, if the next thing I hear is, Nope, Rachel, you got to deal with this. I can't go anywhere near it. It's gross. And I don't want to hear anything about, well, dogs' tongues are cleaner than humans. They got medicine. So I don't want to hear any of that. They're nasty. I don't want them licking me. <laughs> Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly. You see, whenever we come to faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're given that new identity, that complete new system. If anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. And a person vomits whenever there's something within them, their system rejects and must discharge it. Therefore, this sin nature that we have been defined by and consumed by before the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ invaded our lives has now been rejected by our new system that's led by the Spirit. But for one reason or another, in our weak human state, that which our system has rejected starts to look appetizing to us every once in a while. And in our minds, we know it's disgusting, it's unethical, it's not even natural for us anymore. But in the weakness of my flesh, I can still be living in my nature, my new nature as a child of God, and still be drawn to my old sin which is as mind-boggling as a dog returning to its vomit. That's exactly what sin is. It's vomit. It's puke. It's whatever you want to call it. It's been rejected by our new system. It has no value to us, but we still battle this weakness of returning to it every once in a while. Now, Paul, he gives us a list in verse 19 of things like this. Whenever he says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I'm warning you about these things like I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be very clear about something really quick. And this is the reason why I chose to use the Christian Standard Bible for our passage uh, today than other translations, because I think this one's translated more accurately. Because many other translations will take this passage and say, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which will lead us to believe that if I look through this list and I see something on there that I've done, well, now there's no hope for me. That's not the case at all. There isn't a person in this room that isn't guilty of something on that list. Every single one of us have probably done something on that list this past week, maybe even already this morning. But the more accurate translation, when you go back to the original language, is not those who do these things, it's those who practice such things. And there is a big difference between doing something and making a practice of it. Practice is something you intentionally repeat over and over again in the attempt to improve at it. 
So if we are intentionally practicing the things on this list, trying to improve or increase our sexual immorality, impurity, selfish ambitions, envy, etc., well, then the Holy Spirit is probably not present in our lives, and we will not inherit the kingdom of God as a result of it. He's our spiritual identification. We don't get in without him. However, whenever we inevitably do something on that list, we don't have to make a practice of it. Like I've said before, there is a big difference between sinning and living in sin. That's why John wrote in his epistle, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And over and over again in the Gospels, how many times do we see Jesus offering forgiveness to people like adulterers, prostitutes, tax collectors? The list can go on and on of Jesus forgiving people who are guilty of things on this list. But whenever he forgives them, he tells them, go and sin no more. He says, it's time to make a new practice. And can we put that verse back up to that first John one again? See, that little word, if, in that passage gives me so much hope. Because he doesn't say, when you sin. He says, if anyone does sin. That little word gives me the hope that I can get to a point in my spiritual walk and in my life where sin is no longer a common occurrence, but it's actually a rarity because I've been able to grow in the spirit that much but that's going to take time and it's going to take work on my part to get there see Paul he gives a list of things that we should be practicing now if we are going to be walking by the spirit and not giving the desires of the flesh it says in verse 22 he says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control there's no law against such things now those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that word fruit in this passage, in the original language, means a work, act, or deed that comes from or originates from something else. And this is what we so desperately have to understand, is that there is nothing on this list that originates from us. We do not have the ability or the capability to manufacture anything genuine on this list in our own power. But here's the good news, church. The Holy Spirit empowers you. That's our final point for today. In Acts 1.8, the 120 are gathered together right before Jesus ascends up into heaven. He tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now that word power is the Greek word dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamic or dynamite. Jesus tells us that this explosive power would rest within us once we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, this word power has six different definitions that are applicable to the Holy Spirit. So this one word has six different meanings. I don't have time to break down each and every one of them. Um, eventually, we'll probably do a more in-depth series on the Holy Spirit as a person. But I want to look at three of these definitions. And the first one is this one. It's an inherent power. By definition, power residing in a thing by virtue of his nature. This is the new nature. This is the new identity. This power, it's a part of who you are now. A part of your identity. But 2 Corinthians says, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The next one to look at is, this is a moral power. Or excellence of soul. And this is the one that is the most applicable to our study through the fruit of the Spirit. Because the only hope that we have 
to live a truly moral life based around God's standards and truly have an excellent soul comes only from the power of the Holy Spirit. Any other manufactured form of morality will always fall short and it will always lead to chaos. Paul gives us this list of nine different things that we can begin to practice. And these are good, they're excellent moral things, but they originate from God himself. And we can only begin to truly practice them the right way if we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we start to believe that we can manufacture this on our own, that's where we become super legalistic. We're going to be very annoying Christians to be around. And we're not going to grow in that area. Now there's a few others we may get into later, but the last definition for this type of power we'll look at is the power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, or hosts. Now, I shared this one because whenever Paul says in verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit, that phrase has military connotations. And Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way. He says the verb for keep in step is different from the word for walk in chapter 5, verse 16. It means to march in step with your commander so that he can lead you step by step. This is why we entitled this series what we did. Because this is a step-by-step process, growing in the spiritual life. You know, we do a very poor job as Christians sometimes, and a lot of times as a church, of putting so much pressure on people to perform, almost to perfection. Now, we look at lists like this that we read today, and we're like, well, you better have all these fruit of the Spirit in your life. It better be obvious and apparent. And you better not even think about that fleshly list. I better not see any of that in your life or you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You certainly won't be accepted here. It drives me crazy whenever someone has just come to the faith and they're expected to think like and act like they've been walking with Jesus for 50 years. It's like whenever a celebrity or musician comes to faith and they put out a new song or statement or they speak in a church and all the Christians do is just pick apart all their theology rather than appreciating the attempt, (laughs) appreciating the step. So remember, the goal of Christianity is not to get people to look like us. The goal of Christianity is for all of us to look like Jesus. And are you there yet? I know I'm not. I'm not close. But this is a gradual step-by-step process of sanctification in which we begin to practice things like the fruit of the Spirit. So we are going to take this series step-by-step. We're going to spend the next nine weeks walking through these fruit of the Spirit one by one so we can learn how to intentionally begin to practice each of these things. And we're going to be intentionally praying for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and power to be able to live these things. So next week, we're going to start with the first one on the list. We're going to start with love. We're going to look at the true biblical definition for love, where love truly comes from, and how we can find the hope to begin to walk by the Spirit in love. So come on back next week. Let's pray real quick. Jaleesa and uh, Jenny can come back up. Father, thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do for us. And Father, I pray that you bless us during this series that you're leading us into. I pray that the Holy Spirit would become 
so much more real to us than he's ever been before in our lives. I pray that you give us a deep understanding, know who you are. I pray that we would truly be a church that truly walks in love and walks by the Spirit. Father, I pray that we would be a beacon of light in the community that so desperately needs you. I pray you pour all of your blessings and favor and love over us right now. I pray as we close out in worship, I pray that you would truly inhabit our praise. And Father, if there's anything within us, search us and know us, Lord. Show us if there's anything unclean within us. Father, for those of us who may have been falling into legalism, for those of us who may have been practicing some of those desires of the flesh, I pray you would do heart surgery on all of us right now. I pray that we would be a church that does not make a regular practice of sin. I pray it could truly be said of us that if anyone does sin in this church. But Lord, we know it's going to take a lot of work for you to get us to that point. So I pray that we would truly keep a dependence on you. Know that we are nothing without you. Anything good we could ever have in this life or anything good we could ever do in this life can only come from you. So I pray we would stay in a place of gratitude and dependence for all that you are and all that we get to be in you. We love you so much. In the power of the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand and worship with us one more time? Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.